Chapter 22 It seemed Crow had tried to keep a brave face, because almost immediately as they reached the edge of the Dealwood Forest, they all but collapsed. Their knees buckled under their weight, their cheeks sickly ruddy. They landed on a small fallen tree, smiling apologetically at the others as best they could. Taryn waved their grimace away, shaking her head. Camp, sleep, that sort of thing, she said, motioning in the direction of where they had sat just a thousand ten breaths ago. She marched further into the forest, muttering more one-word sentences about wood and fires. Vesh went after her with some confusing hand gestures, managing to signal nothing to Crow and Lidikai. Lidikai grabbed Crow's arm, pulled them up from the fallen tree and led them to the small clearing of their camp. He put them down on the bronze of the dead leaves in the setting sun and sank down himself on the opposite side of the ashes of the old campfire. In an attempt at escaping an uncomfortable blurry weight that he couldn't get rid of, possibly a remnant of the dampening in the lair, Lady Kai found the old leather bands in his bag again and put his hair up and away from his face with them. On his way there, he found an actual twig in the black mess on his head. That was new. Cool air brushed against his neck. His whole body had a thick layer of grime on it by now. Absent-mindedly, he brought some water up from the ground around them and rubbed it on his face and neck, sighing at the refreshing crispness of it. Deciding against drying himself off with his once-red robe, he just shook off the excess water and let the dress dry up on his own. He met Crow's gaze, the feeble-looking Ori had been watching his whole routine without trying to hide it. Did you really think we wouldn't come after you? Lady Kai said, and it sounded a lot more like a reprimand than he would have liked. Crow finally averted their eyes, and instead looked out towards the gaping holes far away on the hillside. Well, they started. A pause followed. Then they shrugged. Things changed in Felhar. Even if that note made it to you, I wasn't sure you'd manage to find me, to be honest. A small smile. No offense. How did you manage to get that note sent anyway? Lidikai said. <sighs> Honeyed words. Crow replied with sing-song sarcasm. It quickly fell off them. Fucking magic, what else? They muttered, shrugging again. The two extremes in mood chasing each other made Lidikai recognize them a little more. Your first captors weren't as clever as the Mistmare's agents, then I take it. With the whole magic dampener situation, I mean. You escaped the ones who took you from Vesha's house with the help of magic. And who are they? And how did you end up with the Mistmares? Lidikai knew it was a jumble impossible to answer. He barely knew what he had asked first by the end of it. The dampener still confused him. He hadn't even heard about things like that existing. Made sense they would keep them out of a place like Yellow Midoril, he supposed. The whole place would fall apart, literally, if something like that came near. He wondered what it would do to the magic shifting the sands in the Kajiza. He shook his head. Thoughts flowed too freely. 
a very strange expression brushed over Crow's face. Lidjikai had no idea what it meant. It looked like shock that quickly moved on to anger, to settle on concern. Yeah, how did you know the mares weren't the ones who captured me first exactly? And how did you find me here? Crow said. Lady Kai chuckled a little. <laughs> well, Vesha's competence. And bravery. So he's a mind mage too, is that it? Crow cut into Lady Kai's sentence with a bite that surprised him. What? No, no. Lidikai said, holding his hands up in protest. Just another way to utilize the art of communication with the cold, looking into memories of surroundings, following imprints of the agents who had captured you. Crow snorted. Well, that's only marginally better, but okay. Hey, Lidikai said, not caring about how angry he sounded. He was angry, he realized. He didn't know how to bring up the subject of Crow seemingly having murdered someone, whatever the explanation for that might be. Without him, you'd still be up on that thing with the mist mares, he continued. Would you prefer that? What's with you? The change in Crow suddenly scared Lidikai when he forced himself to remember the cruel reality of what they had found out about them. He realized he had gone with Terran's explanation until now. It must be the Ender. That conviction was starting to falter. At Lady Kai's words, Crow shot him a sharp look. The entire clearing twisted into a nightmarish black void trying to drag him into it. He threw himself up on his feet and took five stumbling steps away, backing into a tree, panting on the verge of screaming in a panic. A pain like acid eating into the skin of his hip, shot from the little disc he had gotten from Taran. So, it did work. He'd forgotten he had it. The magic-infused anger ran off Crow instantly, and a naked, poignant guilt stared at Lady Kai's guarded, panicked stance. Sorry. Shit, I'm so sorry. They whispered. Lady Kai couldn't remember them ever whispering like that. I'm very tired. Lady Kai swallowed, a dry grating of saliva in his throat. He tried to make himself understand that it was a false alarm, but rationality had very little on the potent claws Crow's magic had raked across him. He just barely managed to calm down in time for Taran and Vesh to come back to an inconspicuous situation of him and Crow sitting down around the small circle of stones again. Crow stood up on notably weak legs as the two approached. I, um... They waved towards a part of the woods that had some bushes, not just sparse tree trunks. Piss. Their voice was weak and distant, and they didn't look at anyone in particular as they slowly walked off in the direction they'd indicated. Lidikai watched them go with a small shake of his head. Taran also followed them with her gaze, arms akimbo. You know, I know it's not their style or whatever, but a thank you would have been nice. She said, but without a hint of accusation, just a small amused eye roll. 
Lidikai suspected she saw a hint of herself in the unsteady Ori walking away. A small drop of blood, unaware of it being a capsule around a sealed fate, fell onto the dirty blue surface of the crystal. Crow watched the red of their blood seep into the hard, faceted shard. As the viscous liquid was fully absorbed, they felt the familiar strain, a growl, a laugh at them. It breathed heavily in their ears from the inside of their skull, but they didn't know why. Didn't have time to ask right now, didn't want to think, didn't care. A crackle sounded from the crystal, close to Crow's lips. They spoke rapidly. Don't say anything. This is where we are. I don't care about your rules anymore. You better make it here before sunrise. Crow had stumbled back to their little camp, mumbled something that was difficult to distinguish, and crawled into one of the two tents that Tyron and Vesh had put up. After a couple of ten breaths, their messy head peered out of the opening of the tent again. Oh, um, thanks for the whole rescuing thing, by the way, they said, then crawled back in before hearing any replies. Lady Kai and Tyron looked at each other in a competition of who could raise their eyebrows the highest. A truly transformative experience, this, Tyron said with sarcastic triumph. I'll take first watch, she continued. It's been a while since I felt this tapped out, but I still think I'm the least such compared to all of you. She stretched vigorously and stood up. Off you go, I'll take a check around. Legs are restless. She waved towards the empty tent before walking off. Lidika realized now that it was weird that he still had somehow thought she hadn't noticed what was happening between himself and Vesh. He would probably have struggled with trying to describe it. He felt a little found out now. And even if he was unable to describe what it was, he still should have talked to her about it. While he sat there, going back and forth among things he should or shouldn't have done, Vesh had already crawled into the tent. I don't snore, at least, he said, as Lady Kai peeked into it. It was a two-person tent, sure, but it was more a two-person tent for Ori of Lady Kai's size than Vesh's. You do a little bit, Lady Kai said, snaking into the tent and flopping down on his back on the spread-out wadmal cloaks underneath them. He felt the warmth of Vesh's arm against his own. It spread a lot further than he expected it to have the strength to do right now. Suddenly, and admittedly a little exasperated about it, he realized he was very awake all of a sudden. You are close enough to... You can... You can kick me if it's annoying, Vash said quietly. Lydica didn't know he was talking about. His mind was somewhere completely different from where it was when he had last opened his mouth, even though it was just a few breaths ago. It's not annoying, he said, therefore, and it was not in relation to Vesh's snoring. But if I wake you, and Vesh's whisper came to an abrupt stop, because suddenly Lidikai was sitting on top of him. The tent was narrow but tall, 
so Lydica could sit up straight. It was dark. Everything with Crow was frightening, uncomfortable, needed to be teased out. He suspected it would end poorly. This, right here, felt incredibly clear and good in comparison. But it was not without knots, and he needed to know if it was possible to change that. Is this all right? He whispered. Both of them heard Taryn walk around outside, sitting down, standing up, walking off a bit, still very restless. It is a lot more than all right, Besh whispered back. Tell me if that changes. With a sigh, Lydica ran his fingers along the front of his very worn robe. A little over half a moon face ago, it could have been new, despite having hung off his body every day at Egelin since he got there. He couldn't see it in the dark, but he felt the layer of dust and dirt, patches of dried blood he had tried to get out and not succeeded. Effortlessly, he shrugged it off his shoulders, pulled his thin arms out of it, leaving it heaped against Vesh's bent legs behind him. The sleeveless, high-collared grey linen shirt he had underneath was in an atrocious state, and he was even happier he couldn't see that than he had been about the robe. That too came off, over his head. He felt the still air in the tent against his skin, eyes adjusting a tiny bit to the darkness, a hint of the attentive glimmer of Vesha's eyes below him. He exhaled. The lines along the large fount on his chest, the symbol for the elemental modality, though only half there, the other half annihilated by the scraggly patchwork of burns, warmed, shed a dim orange light, sharp against his brown skin. As the magic crackled along the fount, his pulse quickened in the hot, panicked startle. His hand flinched harshly in response, and immediately a soft buzz of static swept across him, calming, ushering. A tool for tranquility. He dared continue the tiny little spell that should be so simple, but never was. Obediently, a small hovering flame formed at his fingertips as he lifted his hand to then hang in the air. A soft, shivering exhale ran over Vesh's lips as the dim light spread in the tent. Didikai was prepared. He knew what reaction seeing his body caused. He usually avoided looking at the one looking at him, but this time he felt he had to face it. But there was Vesh, not even a hint of revulsion, even though Lidikai was fiercely looking for it. Only the complete void of it could have convinced him. However, after a few breaths, Vesh looked away. There it was then, sense setting in. Sorry, I... Vesh whispered, some sort of strain on his smiling voice. You're overwhelming. Did you guys suppose that was one way of putting it? 
Admittedly, there was something distinctly not bad about how Vesh said it, though. You're beautiful, Vesh said, looking back at the Ori on top of him. Lidikai's golden eyes froze, staring into Vesh's. I don't know what to say to that, he eventually stammered out. He had searched Vesh's face again, still determined to find something that he eventually realized wasn't there. Come here, Vesh whispered, one hand beckoning carefully. Lidikai realized he wanted something himself. Could you... um... He fiddled with the bottom of the buttoned, floral-patterned silk of the jacket Vesh wore under his robe, which dipped in underneath the round of the fogwalker's stomach. Saying nothing, Vesh unbuttoned his jacket. The gold and silver of the fountain on his chest peeked up gradually through the opening as Vesh's hands travelled down the parting. The fount reached almost all the way up to the many scars across his throat, it was a symbol for the modality of mutation, a skull bordered by the sharp angles of a triangle. It was striking, but it was not what Lidikai's eyes stuck on. Like watercolour on heavy paper, the middle of Vesh's torso was not as desaturated as the dark grey of most of his skin. A deep brown bloomed across his chest, along his stomach, darkening and intensifying to colour. It was subtle, but noticeable still. Without thinking, Lidikai put his hand on the pattern, instantly pulling it back again, worried about transgression. Vesh caught it, and put it back there. I've spent too much time in the cold, he said softly. Lidikai felt the heavy beating of Vesh's heart underneath his hand. The warmth of his skin, the trickle of the edges of the large fount. He leaned down to meet Vesh's body properly with his, nestled his thin fingers behind his neck, and placed his face against the lilac scent below the fog walker's ear. Lidikai felt Vesh's hands against his back, and he couldn't stop a content-voiced sigh from slipping out. Not a flinch in Vesh's fingers as they met the burn scar. Then a loud, high-pitched squeal shot out of Lidikai, and he half sat up again, clamping his hand over his own mouth. Vesh was staring at him, wide-eyed, hands suddenly in front of him instead, apologetic, frantically apologetic. He tried to half sit up himself. Oh, Moons, yeah, I'm so sorry, I, I didn't mean to. Emotions, I, I... Vesh's words ran into each other, panic in his eyes. Lidikai laughed as soon as he realised what had happened, and put his hands on Vesh's chest again, the fogwalker's heart beating like a drum underneath. Vesh fell silent, an uncertain smile on his lips. They were closer now, Vesh half-sitting, one hand hovering in the air, wondering where it should be now that it had become unpredictable against the fire mage's back. Lidikai took it putting a thin finger against Vesh's much thicker one, where the electricity had unintentionally shot out. With just a little bit of warning, 
Lady Kai said quietly, leaning closer. I really don't mind. He felt a shot of tension go through Vesh's entire body, coming back up in a harsh clearing of his throat. Good to know, Vesh said, shaking his head at himself. Lidikai chuckled a little, and it turned into an involuntary shudder. With an unhappy sigh, he rolled off to lie next to Vesh, one arm across his soft stomach as the fogwalker also sunk back down. It was impossible to fight it any longer. Exhaustion was getting hopeless to ignore, no matter how much adrenaline was thrown at it. <sighs> Hold this thought, Lidikai muttered, letting go of the small, hovering light. The darkness was almost as welcome as Vesh's arms. Almost. Already have for... <laughs> this thought has been held for a while, Vesh mumbled back. Lady Kai chuckled again. Gadea. He burrowed his nose into the lilac of Vesh's neck. The tension died down. The exhilarating comfort dimmed. The events of the day came back to him. Everything before going into this tent. Lady Kai fell asleep, somewhere between a warm sense of belonging and a nagging, uneasy trickle of disappointment. Taryn looked up towards the overcast night skies. <sighs> Yet another pain she didn't talk about. She hated thinking about herself like that, as someone in constant pain. She had sworn not to let that be what she became. She felt it. Every step, the nails of the hex brand digging into her. Did Vesh notice? Did Digi? Did you want them to? She stood up again for the fifteenth time in as many ten breaths. Distraction. Don't look at the light in their tent. Keep moving. Lidikai had no idea whose eyes he was staring into, but it was very obvious that they did not belong to a friend. His hands were tied behind his back. He was on his knees on the ground. Didn't he have class today? Why was he outside? Why was everything yellow? Why is it so hard to think? He tried to look around find someone he knew, but moving his eyes hurt his optical nerve or his stomach, he couldn't tell. Everything spun. He heard a familiar groan to his side and turning his head instead of his eyes, he saw both Taran and Vesh lying next to him in curled up balls, gagged, bound and blindfolded, but not otherwise physically hurt from what he could tell. Crow, where is Crow? Looking in front of him, slowly, sluggishly, as if his entire face were stuck in the air, he saw them. They were standing behind a stranger. The stranger was wearing a majestic purple robe embroidered with shimmering green. Dark brown hair combed back from a pale face. 
Hatandia was not a modality, not even a path. It was the sign of Ailitiz, a shimmering crystal spire. Yet she was more muscular than anyone he had seen belonging that intensely to an apex. Those things did not go together. The curves of her arms were tense underneath the robe's shoulder cape. Turquoise irises in calm, hard eyes. Crow was right behind her. They must be hiding, springing an attack on her. So clever, always so clever. Then it felt as if reality shifted. Lydica couldn't connect his dull, crawling thoughts with what he was seeing. He narrowed his eyes. It didn't help at all. A hand, Crow's hand, touched the stranger's arm. She barely reacted. Lydicai saw that Crow said something. It sounded like complete gibberish, just a garbled noise, no sense to be made, but some weird familiarity in it. Please, he heard Crow say. They looked angry. The words sounded as if it had been said many times after each other in many different ways. You're always so angry with me, Crow. The stranger with a pale face shook her head, amused, a shrug. <sighs> Gadea, she said, voice like cold water down her back. A wave of her hand towards Lady Kai. He felt as if a barbed, sticky shroud was dragged out through his eyes. He screamed. What are you doing? Crow was yelling. Lydikai could hear it through his own ragged breathing. You asked me to end it. I'm not going to spend the energy to make it pleasant. You've already made me waste enough of that as it is, the stranger said, not moved an inch by anything going on around her. Lydikai felt his mind fall into place piece by piece, but everything slid back with jagged edges of a broken skin, salty fingers digging into fresh wounds. He screamed again, wanting to hold on to his own head instinctively, but forgot about his backbound arms. The attempt caused him to fall over, face first, into the wet, decomposing yellow leaves on the ground. The pain inside his head kept going, very slowly subsiding and he could do nothing but cry through it. Eventually, his mind was his own again, but swollen like a repeatedly beaten muscle. He breathed into the leaves underneath him, spittle and snot pooling underneath his face. An armoured hand behind him pulled his head up by the ponytail, the sound of crystal on crystal. The suddenness and force of it made him inhale sharply, dragging mud from the ground down into his throat. He sat up again, held up by whoever was behind him, coughing dirt, watching the stranger and Crow before him. She met his gaze. Crow did not. Stop it. Let's just go. They were half-turned from Lydikai and hissed it up into the stranger's short-pointed ear. You know as well as I do the consequences of teleporting an unwilling subject. You said you didn't care about my rules. You forget they are not my rules. 
at all. They are ruinous. So be quiet. You have finally done your part. She turned back to Lidikai. And so you are mine, Soul Moon. With his mind back under his own control, Lidikai had immediately known who this was. But it took a while to accept the fact. Probably because he simply couldn't understand why she was here. Iditus is Diane. The Eustachier, the skull atop the ribs of Calopis. He had never seen her in person. In fact, he had taken great care to never involve himself in Eilatis's upper echelons. Everything up there was too old, infected, self-important, dangerous. That part of Apex society represented everything bad that came out of the long lives allowed in the institutes that centred them. Insular seclusion, superiority. Ironically, it had been easier to feel far apart from it while he was still in close physical proximity to it. After all that had happened, what he had fled from in Eilatis had been bad enough to draw the attention of the Diane. This was actually it. Everything slowly resigned in his head, mocking him for the flight he had set out on for all the reasons he had given himself. He wondered what punishment he would have gotten away with had he not also turned five of the ribs of Calopis into melted heaps of crystal. If Crow hadn't made the ribs disobey their orders to begin with. He gritted his teeth as the hand around his ponytail tightened. The Diane took two steps towards him. She was too close for him to be able to look up in her face. He shut his eyes sighing through his nose, bearing the pain in his scalp. The inevitability put everything in neat little boxes. It helped him realize that Crow's place at the Diane's side was still without explanation. Crow, can you hear me? He said as calmly as he could, when the Diane seemed to do nothing but study him. He didn't know anything useful about mind magic. Another thing avoided because of rules. He felt that it couldn't hurt to try and shake it by any means he had. And right now his means were very few. He had no idea if it was the Diane's lingering magic on him, or the straps around his hands, or something else entirely, but he felt as he had by the altar in the mistmare lair. His magic was silenced. Crow didn't look at him. But Lady Kai could see they reacted to their name being called. The Diane took a few steps back again, a chilling little smile on her lips. She looked at Crow, then back at Lady Kai. Since I doubt you are going to come willingly, Soul Moon, I am going to have to prepare our joint departure for quite some time. There are enough enders around as it is, wouldn't you say? So, by all means, Crow, why don't you answer your friend's question? Lidikai had never heard the word friend sound like an insult before. She looked up at the rib behind Lidikai. Make very sure neither of them tries anything. An unnecessary tug from the hand in Lidikai's hair worked as confirmation. 
The Diane walked away to somewhere Lidikai couldn't see behind him. He looked down at Taran and Vesh. They still seemed unconscious, but breathing. Crow didn't move. Lidikai heard the Diane clink with bottles, work a knife, stone and metal rubbing together. No sounds he could claim to recognize. He wanted to sleep, to pretend this was a painful dream. Crow, snap out of it, he whispered. The other Ori sat down. Their blue hair shimmered in the dawn, giving color to their skin, mixing in, making them look gray. They were not smiling. My mind is my own, they said. Their voice was subdued, tired, low. I'm sure she's made you think that, but if you just... Lijikai. He froze. Grey, cold fingers snaked around his name, chaining it to crow. A pain like a hit to the gut somewhere around his hip bone punched the air out of him. He gasped, feeling the edges of the little disc he had been given by Taryn. With wide bloodshot eyes, he looked up at Crow. Crow looked away, into the dead leaves on the ground. Do you remember when we first met? On the Menda, from Nora's. Lilikai didn't answer. Everything felt so quiet. I needed to keep track of you. Or... <laughs> Serena did. Her ribs needed something to follow. Your name was a good enough anchor for it. It allowed me to lend new energy to the imprint. They held out their wrist, tapping the inside of it with two fingers. Lidikai thought back to their meeting, the greeting, such a common gesture. Crow's two fingers on his wrist. Keep track of him. He felt as if he was being blinded by something, as if he tried to see behind a shadow facing the sun. So this was her, Sarene. Of course. He felt empty. His mind raced through his way here, from Egelin, from before that. A soft smell of earth rose to his nose. I hid the extent of the effect from you, Crow said. Lidikai thought of the hooks he had felt in his name this time Crow had said it. No need to hide anymore. Bet you wish you didn't say me now, huh? They continued. I don't understand. Lidikai whispered. It felt like a plea. I had a debt to repay. It was cut. An end. They stood up. And this was already set in motion. You would never have forgiven me for all of it. A smirk. If there was any ambiguity behind it, it was smothered. Serena, they said, with a voice Lidikai barely recognized now. It was so cold, distant. It's all yours. Lydie, don't, don't listen to them. It was Taryn's voice all of a sudden. She had managed to wiggle her mouth out of the gag. Lydikai could feel the struggle of the rib holding him upright. They couldn't reach Taryn to put her gag back and still hold on to Lydikai. They're under her control. Think what she did to you. Come on. 
She spoke rapidly as she could tell that Rhea was definitely finding her words more of a hazard than Lydikai's weak, trembling body. Think of everything we've been through. They wouldn't just... The gag was in her mouth again. Lydikai was a little impressed that the rib had dared to come close to Taryn, seeing as she abandoned speech for trying to bite their hand as soon as they came near. Then again, their hand was covered in crystal. Crystal spires glittering in the roar of the fire. The smell of smoke sticking to the inside of his nose, the destruction he had just walked away from. He had dragged Taryn and Vesh into this. To business, the Dayan cut through in her quick, effective voice. The rib had come back to Lydia and snapped his head back to look at the den. Amusing to see the level of trust that little rat has managed to instill among you, she said with a sound that could charitably have been interpreted as a laugh. Now, if only they hadn't been so easily sidetracked by all this bonding themselves... This would have been a lot less cumbersome for everyone involved. She pulled Lijikai up to his feet, effortlessly. He lost his breath and got it back with a gasp. He did not enjoy being face to face with her. His instinct was to back away, but that only made him step right into the jagged edges of the armour of the rib behind him. His legs trembled, but he was kept upright as if he were a picture frame around something to be studied by the Diane. She beckoned to the rib, and he felt one of their arms loosen their grip, held out next to him, forearm and palm facing upward. Digikai looked down at it. The inside of the arm was free of armor, only the straps keeping the crystal on the other side held fast. It took him a while to understand that it was skin he was looking at. It was grey like so many bodies Taryn had clapped her hands over finding back in the day, but it was also bumpy and cartilaged, with enough scars to make the entire arm look crooked. He flinched as the Diane, without preamble, stuck an ornamental dagger into the flesh of the arm. Not even a small inhale was heard from the rib behind him at the stab and where blood should definitely be pouring after a while from such a deep jab, nothing but an unsettling grey substance started to ooze. Lidikai instinctively gagged at the sight. He had no idea what that was, and he most definitely did not like the fact that Diane was now reaching for it with her finger and then aiming for his face with it. Another instinctual attempt at fleeing, this time more forcefully stopped by the rib behind him. The substance was weirdly lukewarm as it met his skin. He felt it drizzle down from the Diane's finger. He had to stifle another wretch. It smelled like pus. Settle, the Diane commanded, or I will make you. The memory of the pain raking through his mind earlier was more than enough for him to fight the instinct to move. She was careful and meticulous, moving from using her finger to a much smaller tool, a long metal needle, to continue drawing the substance on his face. Apart from the uncomfortable stickiness, it didn't seem to affect him from what he could tell. He could hear feints struggling from Taryn on the ground. From what he had noticed, Vesh hadn't moved. He tried not to think about that. 
Everything was fragmentary. He couldn't form any conclusions or strategies with this annoying patchwork of information. It was still bordered by smarting pain to think, but he was getting a little too aware of the fact that he might be approaching a place where he would never think again. What punishment awaits me, Diane? He said. His voice was surprisingly steady. His breath bounced off her hands. Her brows rose slowly, not in surprise necessarily, but rather in a face that seemed to detest having to explain herself to anyone. Punishment? I suppose that is what one such as you might see it as. Finally, I am something, Lady Kai thought dryly. But this is me allowing you your full potential. You are born under certain conditions of the moons, rare such, not singular in any way, but you are one of few, and I need such specimens, who also show equally rare magical potential. In your case, it seems to have taken a rather chaotic bent. She gave him a condescending smirk behind her working hands. I've had my eye on you for a very long time. When your brashness made you run into the desert in yet another fit of self-pity, I decided to have someone bring you to me, and collect on a debt in the process. He stared at her, didn't understand what was happening, was almost grateful for the ticklish, wet scraping of the needle so desperately trying to prove reality. But the fire, Egelin, he breathed. The Diane froze, her eyes narrowing almost in the same way as Terence had previously. But it was quickly forced away, abandoned for a stiff shrug and a tensing of her lips. You remember that? That is useful information. Perhaps it can be valuable at a later point to know. For now, time is of the essence, seeing as Crow managed to turn this into quite the drawn-out endeavour. She smiled though only with her mouth. What, what do you mean, do I remember? It made too little sense. It couldn't make sense. His thoughts latched on to explanations that was at least something resembling logic. A misunderstanding. He had no idea about what. Her little smile stuck to her face. To everyone else in Eilitis, the Institute of Egelin has never had a red wing. Currently we are building a much-needed expansion of the elemental department on a patch of the grounds previously unutilized. The detachment from himself, from his surroundings, from his experiences was so intense, all he could do was simply accept it. Hope he would ever settle back together again somewhere in something resembling reality. How would you even do that? He saw his lips move from the outside. I had some assistance. We've been developing it for quite some time. A snort. It was Crow, still hovering around Lydikai and Sarene. Lydikai didn't move anything but his eyes, looked at them, they looked back, bright eyes, narrow, hard, angry. But perhaps not at him. Do you remember a little firebox you owned, Lady Kai? 
Crow's voice dragged nails through his name. Sirena was visibly unhappy about Crow talking, but she kept the needle going, albeit harder than before, almost piercing the skin. Didikai frowned. Why would I need a firebox? He had no idea what they were talking about. What about you, Taran? Remember giving him one? It remained quite sentimental to him. Like his thoughts about you, I'd wager. Shame, guilt, wallowing, the works. Taran couldn't reply, and Idikai couldn't move to see her. And now it never existed. Crow continued, their voice distant suddenly, a hollow whisper. Matter can be forgotten. That's quite enough. The Diane's knife of a voice. What matters now is that I can finally continue what I realized you could be useful for so long ago. Her voice, how she talked, the way everything sounded so measured, calculated, forcing away the confusion Crow's words left, Egalin came back to him even more vividly. Memories of his colleagues, of his own teachers, of himself. That's what her manners evoked. Everything was absurd. He saw not just himself, but all of this from the outside for a fraction of a breath. Him hanging in the grip of a rib of Calopis and the bloody Diane herself in a damp dealwood forest on the edge of the vines. A small cramped laugh ran over Lydikai's lips. Her reaction was quick, a tension around his chin, her nails in his cheeks. He didn't care. <laughs> Wait. Born under certain conditions of the moons, he croaked, still vaguely smiling between her fingers, that Diana of Eilitis believes in the prophecies. He made absolutely no attempt at hiding the resentment in his voice. Prophecy does not care whether you believe or not. Her voice didn't show it, but the fact that she had stopped her until now so studious painting on his face showed his comment had found its mark. Prophecy doesn't care because it is absolute drivel, he said, looking steadily into her turquoise eyes. She let go of his chin, stared into his golden irises. Then, after a short collecting breath, she simply continued her careful drawing. I don't believe this, Lidikai muttered. Did anyone die in the fire? The chill of the realization that if Crow had helped, what? He was still unsure of what had been altered, reality or simply the memory of it. But if that were true, anything could have happened. Did anyone die? Does anyone remember them? She ignored him, and he felt his mind recoil at the implication he had spat out. Here he was, condemning Crow. Here he was, blaming others for being hypocrites. The fight ran out of him in a small, shivering breath. He stilled completely against her grip around his jaw, inhaled the disgusting fumes of the grey ooze from the rib's arm, obeyed, accepted, deserved. And then...
Vesh didn't know it, but he was the first to feel it. Taryn had gotten his blindfold off, having once again freed herself of her gag. He tried to take in what was happening around him, but he only saw things he didn't want to see. But then, he felt it, and everything else seemed very, very insignificant in comparison. He looked over at Taryn, who had been a spitting, shrieking ball of fury up until now. She was completely still, staring back at him, slowly shaking her head. She tried to turn, not able to see her back, but twisting so that Vesh could. Through the fabric of her grey linen shirt, that the lines of the hex brand. Not only that, a dazzling blue light pulsed in it. It was like the beating of wings, like a thousand skittering feet, like a slithering strong body, like a wave of domination, lust and panic all at the same time. A split breath before it emerged, they all felt it, like claws across their scalps. Blood dripped down around the edges of Crow's cloak, colouring the wet golden leaves red. They grabbed the sides of their head and shrieked. Magnificent Enders Our attempts are your body. Our mistakes your spark. Come destroy us. Let us worship. Your Let us Beg. Lady Kai didn't know if it descended from the sky or crawled up from the earth, but now it was unmistakably here. A dozen eyes of different sizes in place of eye sockets, long horns twisting from the forehead towards the back of its head, snow-white skin pocked, marked and cut, silvery hair long, dancing like living tendrils across rigid muscles, limbs too many or the perfect number. No clothes to individualize it or hide behind. A smile piercing defenses despite the paradoxes of its body. Breath-stealing, mind-shattering, the end of reason. The ender adjusted, grinned with too many teeth glittering in the rosy dawn. Sena crept down through the treetops, creating beautiful, elaborate shadow patterns across the enormous, sense-defying abomination rising before them. Quickly, its clusters of eyes found Crow. They had fallen down on their knees, blood having turned the borrowed robe from Taryn entirely black. It looked as if the blood moved under it, wearing Crow's skin. The cloak had fallen off their shoulders. They were staring at the creature with an open mouth. Lydikai thought he noted a faint shimmer between Crow and the Ender, a cold blue light hiding in the glitter of the sun. Everyone heard its voice. Everyone reacted to it with a rigid twitch. It was many voices, countless, coming from behind every tree trunk, from within every listener, 
through everyone's teeth. You needed. You wanted. They all wanted to agree. I command you to stop. It was the Diane's voice, audibly struggling through layers of overwhelming impressions. All its limbs, its eyes and teeth spun, twisted, slithered to face the Diane. Regret wore her, stopped her every move. You command me. It sounded excited, whispers vibrating with ecstasy. I created you, the Diane hissed. Through his paralysed terror, Lidikai managed to be impressed by her effort. He had no idea how he would even begin to speak right now. My Venet did that, Evale. My Venet and the little creature it spawned in my wake. And another anchor found its way to me, allowing. A mass of darting ice found Taran, only to quickly make it back to the Diane. You command me. A laugh, rattling bones, teeth around a jugular. Let me show you command, Evale. It shifted and was suddenly a dark cloud of body above, around, before the one rib of Calopis among them. They were stunned into breathlessness, weapon dropping to the ground instantly at the approaching menace. Please, Lidikai heard them plead. So polite, the ender hissed with its thousand lungs. Pick up your blade, polite one. I command your perfect cuts. With a grimace of twisted ecstasy on their grey dead face, the rib did as they were told. Shimmering crystal blade in hand, they placed it in every part of their armour where there was an opening. Places no attacker would know. Lidikai didn't know what he was looking at. The grey sludge that had run out of the rib's arm pooled at their feet, overflowing in the armour, until suddenly their entire body folded into a pile of dismembered limbs, like a doll on strings. The Diane was staring, her previously so unyielding countenance shivering and stiff. Tears were silently running down her pale fawn cheeks, staring at the heap of crystal and grey on the ground. I command. The ender sounded like the last remnant of an echo. You want, Venet, it continued. Crow tore their eyes from the heap of limbs everyone had been staring at, looking at the ender. You want, you desire the end 
of the Diane. That is why you have called me. Your desire is an end to hers. Pro simply breathed, feebly holding their bleeding chest. Her desire is here. An arm that Lady Kai had no idea where it came from, or how it reached all the way to him, dove down from above. Cold, scaly fingers like snakes grabbed hold of his neck. Breathing was cut off, windpipe narrowing, fingers so cold they felt hot. On that long, strong, pale arm, the ender lifted Lidikai towards the canopy, shadow lace trickling over his skin, the light of Sena blinding during his ascent. No, I... <coughs> Crow coughed. Voice only a faint wheeze, struggling to get to their feet, not succeeding, slipping on the blood-heavy leaves around them. What are you doing? Let him, let go of him. You're supposed to take her. I brought you here to take her. No, 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 please. I, I never wanted. The Ender's voice, like an echo within every tree. Her desire. Destroy. With that, talons like scythes speared Lidikai's body. Four spires through him splayed against the bright light of Sena. With a flick of a massive wrist, his body was discarded into the forest. Five long breaths of deafening silence. Besha's voice cut through it like the shattering of glass. He ran. Taryn, having managed to free both herself and Vesh, looked after the fog walker as he ran towards Lydgy. It felt as if reality split. She had seen the look in Vesh's eyes. She had seen what the talents had done to Lydgy Kai's body. There was a limit to what her magic could heal. If there was any chance, Vesh would be the only one who could save Lydgy, and that would things Taryn had only heard him theorise about. But for that to be worth something, she had to keep the Ender off them. The Ender seemed chaotically rapturous in the wake of its own action, licking its claws, eyes darting in several directions at once. Taryn dashed as fast as she could over to the shaking, wailing heap that was Crow. She pulled them up to sitting position and dragged them behind a thick trunk, hindering the first, the second, and the third impulse she had as she looked at them. Give me anything, she hissed through clenched teeth. You brought that fucking thing here, now tell me how to get rid of it. I, I don't know, Crow whispered. They both heard the ender spin around in the dead leaves behind them. What you just did is impossible. I know what that means. I do impossible things all the time. I also know the look of someone who does something they didn't know they could do. So whatever you just learned, you better use it. Or so help me, I'm going to show you misery you've only dreamed of. It was impressive. 
the way that even with an ender bracing among the tree trunks, moving towards them, Taryn apparently managed to present herself as the bigger threat. Crow nodded at her, allowing her to harshly pull them to their feet and shove them in front of the ender. Taryn had to look away. It seemed even bigger than before, blotting out the sunlight with its entire body, descending down with its impossible face. It was too similar to what she had seen trying to find it, when it found her instead. Here it was, properly. Was she happy now? It shifted to focus on Crow, and knowing that hesitating would be her death, she used that shift to run away from its face, She tried to see the twitching, sprawling limbs like a building. A building with alarmingly moving parts, but still. A ladder. Walls. With a determined exhale, she engaged the founts and hex brands on her legs, aiding her ascent, surprised that how the hex on her back stayed out of it this time. Hopping, swinging, leaping, she was at its back, up its twisting spine, holding on to a spiralling horn, seeing something maybe resembling a neck among the water-like silver of the hair. Then it noticed her. Violently. It shook, spun around with such speed she knew she wouldn't be able to hold on for long. The movements were one thing, but it also felt as if it removed the ground, twisted where the sky was, plunged her into the canopy above, dragged her senses across a glass-littered ceiling. She fought it. She held on with every piece of energy she could find. When physical strength gave way, she grasped for anything. Stitched together memories that had made her stronger. Stumbled on fighting off the guards that Lydgy left her in the hands of. Found strength in how she survived, but lost it to the despair of almost dying, having lost him, being lost because of him, the pain that never left, the pain that made her look at life differently, not take things for granted, not trust anyone. Shit. No, the experiences that made her who she is, made her grasp life by the fucking neck and force it to be lived no matter what. I'm losing. She fell. Branches of memory breaking under her feet, mocking her reliance on them. A flash of colours, of emotion, of tiny little pinches inside her lungs. Every argument walked away from, every force down in justice. All the tears she never cried. Suddenly she was once again underneath the twilight skies of the Ender's pocket of reality, where she had gone to find it. The skies now blazed with purple thunder. She could almost make something out behind them, but she didn't know what that was. The fragment of a body that was not chaos, not relativity played as a threat. She had been here before. She couldn't remember where she was before it. She tried to remember who she was. Time felt physical tugging at her like a furious wind, rushing past her face, tearing her eyes. Looking down at her body, she saw a trace of red spread along her skin in her light brown palms. She didn't know which colour came first. Her scalp itched and she reached up to scratch it. A chunk of her rough, tight black curls came loose, bunching up in her hand. 
cold sweat, a sound of skin on skin, the smell of iron, of electricity, of fire. The grass around her twitched like cut-off tendrils fighting to stay alive. Suddenly everything stilled, and then the ground gave way, swallowing her down towards an inverted precipice. The sky dragged her by the feet, tumbling towards breathlessness. She had lost. Her body landed on something warm, still, grounded. She had lost. She was lost. This was it. She was still breathing. The palms of her hands were just blisters, slipping off the hair she had wound around her hands to stay put. She saw the light of Sena above her, not behind her or underneath. Under her, the Ender's incomprehensible body shook, heaved, frozen in synchronization with an Ori before them. She hadn't stilled. The Ender had. Taran stood on top of its body, looking down at Crow. They were staring at the Ender, forcing every breath out of it, keeping it entirely still. Taran noticed that she had tried to stick her dagger into the Ender a lot of times. There were holes and slits all around her, but they were all closing slowly, nothing coming out of them. You should allow her blade she heard Crow say. It was not aimed at her. She could feel the edges of Crow's suggestion like visible vibrations in the air. Terrified, she realized how impossible it would be to resist were the suggestion put to her. The body under her slumped, sunk down, a pliable, submissive mass. A glance and a nod from Crow. She stuck her dagger into the Ender's twisting spine and it sank, threatening to move to the center of Runa, disappearing into nothing. She stumbled backwards off it. There was no energy left in her body. She had no idea how she was supposed to stay conscious. Lijikai was dead. Lijikai was dead. And she was losing consciousness. Hands felt as if their tendons were cut off. She went for her belt pouch, fingers not working, vision dimming. Please, please, please. A small vial Vesh and Lidji had brewed, the glimmer of hope, fingers not working, health. Lidjikai was dead. Fumbling desperate movements, she stumbled around the quickly decomposing, disappearing body, unable to stay together when it was not perceived. She found Crow's cold hands, put the vial in them. Help, open, please. Crow managed marginally better than her. She took it, swallowed it, vision clearing, energy returning. I was trying to help. She heard Crow's voice echo in her periphery. I was scared she would find out if I didn't, if I didn't play my part to the end. Please, I never meant you killed him. Tyron whispered before running towards the huddled figures she saw among the black trunks. Lidikai had always been here. He was always here. He was more here now. He was always more here. 
This time he might be entirely here, actually. This time, time mattered less. He looked about himself. Every reality that had ever taken place here brushed past him, stuck around him, vibrated in his periphery. No, not entirely. Forcing a thought into shape, he looked behind him. The hem of his robe, broken as it was, seemed stuck on something. He sat down, thinking he should get it loose. Something caused him to hesitate. He sat there, hunched over, looking at the web-like pattern of the textile, trying to remember what he had forgotten. I can't say I blame you. That felt familiar, welcome. He had forgotten something, something warm and dark and wonderful. But I'm happy you're holding on. I think it's my robe holding on. A laugh like rain. We are what we will ourselves to be here. I like that you're still wearing that. Warmth. The warmth he had forgotten, mist on his arm. Passing intention into body. You're here as well. Entirely. I am. The vague shape of the two of them flickered at the acknowledgement. The form they willed themselves into would not hold. They knew this. Taryn. Yes. We have to give her something to work with first, though. Right now, she does not have that. It was very tempting to not try and find a reason to go back. To find the physical nothing but a burden. Sighs as ripples on a pond. Come back. She didn't know whether it was stubbornness or denial, but she kept pressing whatever she could find into them, every last scrap of energy in both her and in everything near her. She saw her blood-soaked hands press against the two bodies in front of her, her tired founts trying their best, exchanging duties with the Hexbrands. The air became heavy to breathe because of how much she tried to force it to assist. Life seeped out of the few tufts of grass around them, drained colour out of the golden leaves, left the black trunk as devoid of colour as Vesha's locks. But it refused to go further than her palms, spilling out again, circling back into her, making her sweat even more, making her skin burn, her mouth taste like blood. She tried not to stare at the increasingly greying tips of Lydikai's hair, Come on, she hissed between her teeth, choking back tears, furious beyond comprehension. And then, a breath, two breaths, her magic connecting, making a shoddy work of it, trying its best, mending the bare minimum, which was still more than it actually could right now. She was rambling thank yous to any and everything, it didn't matter. Eyes blinking, alive, awake. Pained laughter. A sound 
that couldn't believe it was allowed to be made. <laughs>